they're making me record my homilies now for the uh, Wednesday night dinner podcast, which is available on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcast. Um, uh, today, I want to reflect a little bit on that line from the second reading. When this which is corruptible clothes itself with incorruptibility, when this which is mortal clothes itself with immortality. What does that mean? What, is, what do we understand by that? I think when we first look at it, we can think of it in terms of, I don't know, when you think of clothes, you think putting on something different. I want to be seen to be holy. I want to, seem to be seen to be saintly. And so I put on the appearance of holiness. I put on the appearance of saintliness. I can put on all sorts of very fancy vestments and people think that I'm holy. And when we hear that word clothed, that's what we think. We think of, you know, putting on something else and maybe covering up who I really am. And that could seem to contrast with the gospel where we hear about hypocrisy. You hypocrite, first take out the uh, wooden beam in your own eye, then you can remove the splinter in the other. Isn't that what this is? Isn't that clothing of ourselves in immortality a certain hypocrisy? Don't we have something underneath that still needs to be worked on or that we're ignoring in some way? But when we actually understand what St. Paul is talking about, we see that it's, it's so much more beautiful than that. St. Paul, when he's describing clothes, of course, people in ancient times had a very different conception of clothes than we do. You guys have a million different types of clothing. You can put on all sorts of different things. You can have work clothes and school clothes, and you all wear pajamas way too much and sweatpants way too much, but whatever. But for them, there were only, you only had like two pairs of clothes. You maybe had your set you wore every single day, and then you had your fancy set for like really special occasions like Passover, certain weddings or feasts. Everything else was just who you were, and your clothes re reflected much more yourself. They reflected your socioeconomic status, obviously, if you had bunches of clothes you, or, and very fine material. Reflected, though, your, your occupation, your role in the world where you grew up, where you were from. And so when St. Paul is talking to us to clothe ourselves in immortality, he's talking about something much more intimate than just, oh, make yourself appear like you're holy. Make yourself appear like you're holy. It's about changing our whole selves. Now, St. Paul is talking about the end of the world. He's talking about the resurrection of the body in this passage. It's at the end of a long series about the resurrection and what will happen and the de ultimate defeat of death. But brothers and sisters, the resurrection begins now. It begins now. We begin to clothe ourselves with immortality here and now. And the body is just the last part when our body will, be will rise from the dead and will be with God for eternity in heaven. That's the last thing that will happen. We begin to clothe ourselves with immortality now. But still, the question remains, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means a radical transformation of our hearts. What is it that makes you immortal? 
When we use that word in common parlance, you can think of someone who's great on world in the, the historical stage, you know, someone whose name lasts long after they're gone. But that person isn't really immortal just because people know your name. And eventually, there won't be any people who remember your name. There are countless kings uh, from the ancient Near East who people who thought in their time that they had made a name for themselves, and now no one knows who they are, except obscure historians and scripture scholars. And so being made immortal isn't just being famous. It isn't just being uh, lasting after you're dead or making some contribution. It's something deeper than that. It's about being alive, about being truly alive. And that life wells up within us and transforms us and lasts for eternity. And that life comes from being in love. Clothing ourselves in immortality is about allowing the Lord's grace to enter our hearts and transform them. The theologians describe this process, I've used this word before, but they describe this process as divinization. That God truly enters into our hearts. He truly enters into who we are. He dwells within us. And that dwelling within us in grace wells up and we participate in his life. And the example that I think is most helpful is the example of human love. When you fall in love with someone, you desire to be united with that person. And that love in your heart starts to unite you. You, you naturally start to become more like the person that you're in love with. And you think about the person you're in love with more. And they really do dwell in your heart. And now all of a sudden, that love just rejoices out from out, outside of you. That goodness that's within you that God has, that, or that, that, that this person you're in love with has so changed you that you just are, are bursting out with joy. And people think you're really weird because life is beautiful and I'm so in love and the birds are singing and all this kind of stuff. But you know better that that love is real and it's worth people thinking you're strange about. And it's bubbled up from outside of you, from inside of you, and it's changed your whole life. Brothers and sisters, that's just an analogy of the power of God's grace. Even the most authentic, the most beautiful, the most incredible experience of earthly love is nothing compared to what God wants to do in your hearts. It's nothing compared to what the love of God does when we finally allow him to enter us and he starts to take possession of our souls. We bubble up with joy. That love transforms us. We are made like him. We are divinized. We are made like God and we clothe ourselves with immortality. And that immortality that we take on drives away fear, drives away anxiety, enables us to endure suffering because how could I how could I really fear when I have this love in my heart how could I really how could I really suffer when I have this joy within me it's lasting and powerful and meaningful brothers and sisters that's what the gospel means when our lord says that a good person out of the store of goodness in his heart produces good. 
when it talks about the beautiful fruit that comes from the life of faith. It means that our hearts have been taken over by God, have been transformed by God. And now all of a sudden, this goodness wells up from outside, from, from, from within us. We don't have to force ourselves through strength of will in order to do good things. We do good things because we have this love within us that drives us. We don't have to remind ourselves not to gossip or not to, back to, uh, to, to talk bad about others or not to pursue things that are not good for us because God's love has transformed us and made us his own. We don't have to worry about what other people think about us. How often are we afraid of people knowing that I have a faith life? How often are we afraid about what other people think about the fact that I'm a Christian? Or if I say anything that talks about the love of God, how, much, how often are we afraid of what people think? When you're in love, when you're in love, you don't care what people think about you. Yeah, you know yourself that you're crazy right now, but of course you're crazy. You're in love. It's incredible. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to learn to clothe ourselves with immortality, to put on this new life that comes from the invasion of God's grace. Now, how do we do that? I think oftentimes we get it backwards, especially as we go into Lent. So often in Lent, we, uh, when, as Lent kind of is about to begin, and if you aren't paying attention, Lent begins on Wednesday. So often when we're going into Lent, we think, okay, I have to eliminate these bad habits. I have to eliminate these bad habits. I just said this the other day. I've had like, I, I was called out for eating at least 12 cookies in a span of like a couple hours. And I said to someone, man, Lent can't come soon enough. I got to get rid of this bad habit. I need to fast a lot more. And we think of the spiritual life as just the elimination of bad habits. And once I eliminate all those bad habits, then I'll be a saint. But it's the other way around. First, I'll become a saint. And then those bad habits will be eliminated. The purpose of Lent, the purpose of Lent is to clear the ground so that I can have this communication with God, that he can speak to the depths of my heart. And so, yeah, we put aside things that are bad for us, but we should really be putting aside bad habits all year round. I should stop my gluttony every day of the week and every day of the year, not just during a special time at Lent. Instead, Lent is there to prepare our hearts to receive the gift of God's grace and to allow that love to well up within us. That's what will change us. That's what will enable us to celebrate at Easter with such tremendous joy. And so as you're thinking and praying about what you're going to do in Lent this year, I want to encourage you not to just give up chocolate or not just to give up, I don't know, whatever other bad habits that you're trying to give up. Do those too, but don't make that about Lent. For Lent, think about what is going to lead you more deeply into a relationship of love with God. And you can think about where do we meet God? We meet God first and foremost here in the sacraments. In the sacraments, he gives us this 
beautiful and unique channel of his grace where he enters us in a way that he doesn't anywhere else. And so maybe one of the things you could do for Lent is think about receiving the sacraments more. Now, that doesn't mean, like, obviously there's seven sacraments, but, like, God forbid during Lent you're going to be receiving the anointing of the sick more. We don't want that. And you're certainly not all going to receive the sacrament of holy orders more or matrimony. What it means is, of course, mass and confession. If you're going to do one thing for Lent, make it daily mass. Make it daily mass. I know in my own life, nothing enabled me to fall in love with God more. Nothing changed my heart more. Nothing changed my behavior more than going every single day to meet the Lord. And I didn't do it for good reasons. At first, I've told this before, but I went to daily mass because I wanted to date the girls who went to daily mass. It wasn't because of piety, that's for sure. But it changed me because every single day I was spending it with the Lord. I was listening to the scriptures and and my heart started welling up with this love. And it helped me conquer sins that I had been struggling with for years because now I had this grace and those sins just seemed so much less appealing. And I started loving so much more and there was so much more freedom with that. And so come to daily mass. We have it every single day at noon. If you haven't been to daily mass before, it's not nearly as long as Sunday mass. It's half the time usually. I don't preach nearly as long, and I'm going on way too long right now. It's it's nice and short, but it's a time with the Lord where you get to receive him every single day. We have it every day at noon at Mem Chapel. And then if you can't do that, St. Mark's is down the street in the morning. Holy Redeemer is down the street in the morning. Daily mass is one of the things that will do the most good to change your heart. Think about it. Pray about it. It's a perfect thing for Lent. And the other thing, the other sacrament, of course, is confession. We need to empty our hearts of the evil that's in there. We need to be honest with ourselves that really there is evil in our hearts. It needs to be healed. We need to admit it to God. And so Lent is always traditionally a time for confession, but make it more a time for confession. Don't make this the one time of the year you go to confession. But maybe go to confession every couple of weeks during Lent, or every week, in order to give that heart to God, to empty it of the things we're carrying that are weighing us down, to fill it with goodness and his grace. The last place, there are other places we meet the Lord, of course, and there are other things we should do and and. and Practices of discipline and suffering where we can embrace the Lord's suffering is also a good thing in Lent. That's why it's good to fast and it's good to give up things. That's what the church asks of us. But if we're doing it just because it's a discipline and I want to be more disciplined, then we're not doing it the right way. It should be a way to encounter the Lord in love. But the last place to really meet the Lord is the poor. The Lord tells us himself that when you do this for the least of my brethren, you do it for me. And if you want to meet the Lord, if you want to fall in love with the Lord, then fall in love with the poor during Lent. During Lent, we talk about prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And almsgiving shouldn't just be, I'll write a check, although that's good. We should give up on what we have. But it should be meeting people who are poor and loving them. Loving Christ in them. Seeing in them their dignity, their beauty. Seeing in them the Lord loving us through them. So if you see poor people on the street, 
And Lent, make it a point to talk to them as people. Go on, on, on our Fridays, we go up to Source of All Hope in Baltimore. Spend some time with the poor there. But seek out the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this love that God has for you is real. It's so real. Sometimes because we've just gone to Mass for our whole life and we went through CCD and we never maybe experienced it, we, we, we don't believe that. We don't believe that we're really called to this depth of love, this love that transforms us from the inside out, that makes us bear such great fruit. But it is real. It's so real that, I mean, it's so real that this is the reason why priests are celibate. This is why I chose not to have a wife and kids. Because I want to pursue this love. This love which is so beautiful and so rich and so good, which has changed my life again and again and again and which wells up from this place of internal transformation where God's grace has entered my heart and clothed me with immortality and set me afire. And he wants to do that for each one of you. And so now we come to his banquet where he gives himself to you in intimacy in the Eucharist. Allow him, allow him to enter your heart and see what incredible transformation he will bring about.